0: This episode is brought to you by Recession Proof Your Life, my newest mighty mini course replete with my best tips and implementable tools to build a financial life that is recession proof. Check it out at yaeltrush.com forward slash recession proof. That's yaeltrush.com forward slash recession proof. Jewish Money Matters episode 280, Rabbi Simon Jacobson. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Ya El and I'm so glad you're here. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Tross, your host. Welcome to the show, and I've got a good one for you today. We are getting ready for Rosh Hashanah with the amazing Rabbi Simon Jacobson, one of the most renowned Jewish scholars and speakers in the world. Rabbi Jacobson has lectured to diverse audiences on six continents and in 40 states on psycho spiritual issues and applying Jewish thought to contemporary life. His voice is rooted in the timeless teachings of the Torah, yet at the same time, is profoundly relevant, unique, and cutting edge. He has been interviewed on over three. 300 radio and TV shows, including CBS, CNN, Newsmax, PragerU, PBS, MSNBC, Fox, and NPR. And now, of course, we're privileged to have him on the Jewish Money Matters podcast. He is the author of the best-selling book, Toward a Meaningful Life, and founding dean of the Meaningful Life Center. Rabbi Jacobson and I talk about the Jewish perspective on money and wealth, reconciling the idea that everything will be decreed for us during the 10 days of repentance, and yet that we still have input, sort of speak, on the blessings we receive every day of the year. How does that work exactly? And what does that mean for us in terms of our relationship with our creator, as well as with the world around us? And if you're a woman who finds herself struggling, perhaps with your husband's ability to make a living, you want to listen to Rabbi Jacobson's advice today. And what about if you also want to partake in an endeavor that can contribute to the household income? What about finding means for livelihood and helping our children do the same? How do we approach this, this, and much, much more with the illustrious Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Rabbi Simon Jacobson, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. It really is an honor to have you on the show. It's my great honor to be with you. Really, Rabbi, you are one of the greatest scholars, most sought-after speakers in the Jewish world. You're noted for your ability to bridge the secular with the spiritual. And you have such a wide appeal to people of all backgrounds where you really educate them with the uh, on universal teachings. You get of, of the Torah of Torah's, you know, blue as a blueprint for life, the, the universal wisdom of Torah. So I think it it's so important. Important that we have this conversation um, and have you illuminate the topic of money and wealth and making a living for our listeners. Because as you probably know, often people think that money is something totally physical and detached from spirituality. In fact, maybe some might even argue and probably even in the Jewish world, I've heard that money is the opposite of spirituality or antithetical to spirituality. So, Having said that, why don't we start right there? Why don't we begin with that conflict, that tension that people often feel that if I want wealth or I have wealth, then I'm spiritually flawed, perhaps, or I'm not spiritual enough, or it's going to take me away from my spiritual growth. Can you help us reconcile this? What is the proper Jewish perspective? A
1: great question. Excellent question. Gets right to the heart and soul of the matter. Frankly, Um, I'll put it in broader terms. For some, there's a battle going on between matter and spirit. Mm. What you call materialism and spirituality, and in that context, you'd say, okay, materialism means it's about me and my needs. Uh, whether it's making money, my money is not your money. So, in that sense, it seems antithetical to love and to spirituality. Look how look how many people who love each other get into a war over money. Mm. Siblings, parents and children, spouses, and money can be more powerful than love. So that would seem to make the case. You cannot reconcile the two, and there is a inherent tension. But what's beautiful about Judaism is that Judaism says there's a third dimension that's not matter or spirit. And that's why you find in Judaism actually money and wealth is not considered a vice. You know, there are religions, there are schools of thought that see money as a vice, Mm -hmm. that the impoverished shall, shall inherit the earth. Poverty is seen as a positive because it doesn't allow you to be distracted by money matters. Right. In Judaism, money is a blessing. However, and here's the big however, money, the way to relieve the tension that is inherent in, mon- in money and in materialism is by spiritualizing our money, mm. by spiritualizing our matter. And that means recognizing that the money you make, you're not a self-made man or woman. The money you make is a gift from God. It's a blessing. And therefore, that which you've earned, you need to share with others. Mm. So if a person just makes money, just takes and doesn't know how to give then money can become a real noose around their neck but if they know how to relieve that tension by sharing
2: by mm-hmm. being
1: charitable by helping those that, that are that are less fortunate by sharing that is what we how we elevate and we call it spiritualizing the materialism of money the soul of money
0: right beautiful and i I, I'm I'm kind of putting myself in in from the perspective of my listeners and coming from you know what I hear them asking often and struggling with and uh, and my students I hear often you know people ask well but we have so many stories. Uh, growing up, I heard so many stories. We have Balshamtav stories of you know people who needed a blessing for wealth and the blessing needed demanded a trade-off. You know, if you get that blessing, they're gonna lose another blessing. Or you know, you have Rabbi Khanina Bendoza, you know, sending back the golden table leg. What do you know? What do we make of this? Are these stories applicable to another generation or to another caliber of individual? And really, the bottom line, it, you know, the, the real question is: Is there really a trade-off? Is there a risk from asking for abundance to God Almighty for material blessings? Well, uh, the truth is
1: um, that God has enough to go around, so I wouldn't worry about God. He has <laughs> enough gold and silver and health, and wealth, and children. So I'll address the trade-off issue in a moment. Mm-hmm. But let's just speak about God. God is the source of all blessings, and therefore I would not have any uh, rachmanis or <laughs> compassion for God. We should ask and could ask for everything, mm-hmm. for children, for healthy children, for long life, for wealth, for uh, nahas and joy, and so on. Nor does it say, limit. When you look at the prayers that we say every day in the Shimon Esrei, in the Amida,
2: mm-hmm. right. the,
1: the prayer we say every day, you, you don't see that it says, oh, only ask for health, but don't ask for wealth. Right. We ask for wealth, but don't ask for children. We ask for everything. Now, the fact of the matter is that God makes a decision and there are channels of blessings. Some of them we are worthy of and we have earned, and some maybe require much more work. Mm-hmm. So that's why sometimes it says, that some God destined someone should have, let's say, um a, a lot of money. As a result, they may not have something in another area. But we should never make that calculation. That's a calculation for God to make. Right. So from our point of view, that's the point. We have to ask for everything. And at the end of the day, we will get what God wants to give us. Um, And I don't think we have to necessarily calculate that. That's for God's business to decide. Mm-hmm. After the fact, you can say, well, hey, you receive this because instead of that, you got a different blessing. But
0: that should not be our approach and attitude. I hope I'm making sense. I love that. Yeah, no, perfect sense. I love that. And indeed, when we look at our prayers, we we don't limit. There's not like <laughs> you, you were asking for everything. And and also it's 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 that belief that God Almighty is infinite, right? We're tapping into infinity. We're not stuck here in the parameters of nature. That's the that's part of the beauty of Judaism.
1: Right. Yeah, and no one told us, you know, it's one thing. Nobody said to us, hey, you're you're only going to have a blessing in this area, not in this area. So we Mm -hmm. have to assume that God will give us everything. Think of God as a father. A father wants the best for his children on all fronts, not just one front or another. So the stories you're mentioning are certain exceptions where somebody knew above that the person's destiny was not this, was a different destiny. But that's not something for
0: us to calculate. Leave Mm -hmm. that for heaven. Right. There shouldn't be our initial approach. It shouldn't be our beautiful, beautifully explained. And, and this kind of segues us to, you know, this time of year, we're approaching Rosh Hashanah. And as you well know, you know, um, the Talmud tells us that between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, our lot has been determined, right? Whatever, however much we're going to make, you know, that's, that's being determined then. And seemingly there's not much one can do or not anything one can do to change that. However, the Talmud also talks about the fact that we're being judged every day. And as you mentioned, as you just mentioned, we pray every day for those blessings, right? And we have a commandment from the Torah to be involved, right? God says. I will bless you in all that you do, right? So can you help listeners, since this is just kind of like a topic uh, that, that, that we're going to be facing <laughs> very soon, can you help us also through that to reconciling these, the, the, these two Talmuds and, and that, that tension between the doing and the relying on God, perhaps?
1: So our, our sages and our teachers have actually asked that question, and they provide several different answers. I'll just give two main answers. And just to repeat the question. On one hand, it seems like it's designated Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and you can't do anything about it after that. But then every day we pray, and we say that every day your Parnassah, your livelihood is designated. So one answer is this, that Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, you get like the package deal, mm-hmm. but you still need that to come down and be channeled to each daily part of your life. It's like you'll be, you're getting a package, but you still need a blessing to be able to draw it into the details of your life. So that's why the rest of the year, we still pray to make sure that it gets. It, it's just like the mail arrives, but it stays in the mailbox, and you want it to get into your house, type nice. of thing, into your personal life. And the second thing is, we also can mess up. You know, sometimes you, the prayer has been answered. You've been given the gift. You've been gotten the gift, but then for whatever reason, we get distracted and we mm. don't hold on to the gift. Sometimes someone gives you a gift, and then you squander it or you waste it, and so on. So we constantly need effort. There's no such thing as magic trick. Even if Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, you get all the blessings, you still need to make sure that you appreciate it and internalize it in your life. And finally, there's another interesting concept. Because blessings can only grow, even Mm -hmm. though Rosh Hashanah and Kippur could have been designated, we still don't say, oh, you know what, that's enough. We always say, you know what, God, why don't you give us a little more? Mm -hmm. And you're capable of doing that. Obviously, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur is much easier to to create that uh that to to achieve that goal but we can always grow in that matter like sometimes we say a uh, shidduch, a soulmate is designated for you but through your good deeds and prayers you can sometimes get something even better so there's that pro- process as well so it's more of a dynamic relationship where it's almost like think of it like the boss you're working for a company right. and you, and once a year you get your raise mm-hmm. okay you got your raise but then in the middle of the year you feel you have more needs Or you feel you've done the work even better. So you come back to your boss and say, hey, I know you designated a race for the year, but I still want to ask you for a little more. And in his compassion, he'll give it to you. So we have that aspect as well.
0: Wow, so beautiful! Thank you for that, and I think you. Well, thank but, you.
1: Your questions are are great.
0: Great. <laughs> well, I take that as a compliment. You're a journalist, and you're the descendant of a renowned journalist. So, thank you. <laughs> and and I I love how you're 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 framing this for us because it really boils down to the relationship, right? We have a relationship, and so it's like you you describe the boss and the employee, but it's the same thing with our children, right? When you have that close relationship, you may have said to your child you know this is how, what you're getting but your child will come to you for more because they're in that relationship right and you will listen because you're a loving parent
1: beautifully said excellent correct and that relationship is dynamic and mm-hmm. it's not just by the rules it not just oh i already gave it to you right listen, every parent wants to give more love to their children every child wants to to get more love and give as well
0: right and right.
1: It's, a, it's a it's a partnership
0: Right. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's just like
1: an investor. You know, let's say someone invests in your business and you do well. You say, hey, I know I told you I wouldn't come back to you, but we're doing so well. Let's get a more of an investment. And they say, mm-hmm. great, we're both succeeding. Let's do it.
0: Love that. Love that so much. Now, we often get the question or we, or we. or we, I think many of us struggle with, you know, the effort, right? You know, uh, we we trust in God and we know that it's coming from God, and we work on that, and we know that we have to put an effort. There's always that, you know, how much effort always becomes that 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 question. You know, uh, that that tension between the doing and the letting God. Can you give us any advice regarding finding that balance between effort and and trust?
1: Absolutely. Look, part of God's ble- God's gift to us is not just blessings, but also the blessing of our faculties. Mm. He gave us a mind, gave us a heart, emotions, and gave us resources. So if a person says, I'm only going to trust in God, but not trust in the resources he gave me, we understand so that's a bit ludicrous. Right? God is giving you his blessings come through the tool
2: mm-hmm. and
1: the skills and the instruments you have. So the first thing is you have to use everything to the fullest capacity, Um which means... If a person has, let's say, they want to start a new business.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: you have to consult with other business people, with family, with a lawyer, with an with an account. You don't just say, I'll start a business and I ri- rely that God will take care of everything. It doesn't work that way. God is saying, I gave you skills. I gave you contacts. I gave right. you intelligence. So the first thing is we need to use all that. Mm-hmm. Then we say, I've done everything I can that's humanly possible. I've consulted. I've got investors. I've, I've laid the ground. And now I pray and trust in God to make sure that he does his part to make this come to fruition. Listen, yeah. you can plow the earth, but you still need the rain. Right. But you can't just expect the rain to take care of the plowing.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: how do you determine whether you've done enough? First, you use your own common sense. And secondly, it's always good to have a friend, a coach, a mentor, someone that can say, you know what, I think you still can do a little more. Or you've done great. Mm-hmm. I deal with this all the time. People come to me and say, whether this is for business. I, I, I'm, I've been dating. I can't find my soulmate. I think I've done everything. And then when you begin to explore, you realize they didn't do everything. They think they did everything. So when I say everything is, of course, a relative word, but having an advisor that's objective, they can help determine and say, no, there's a little more you can do, or you've really done a lot. So it's really a matter of using your intelligence of seeing how much effort I've made. Right. And now I still need a blessing and trust. And I think, again, it's a partnership between both.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's also relying on that blueprint, right? That gives us parameters, like not going against anything that God has told us to do because it's never going to interfere with the success of our, of our business or with our livelihood, you know, like don't keep your store open on Shabbos. like that's beyond that's not putting effort, you
1: know? (laughs) Right, 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 right. Exactly. Exactly. In other words, doing something that is also not supposed to do anything destructive. You don't want to do anything that's unethical. Right. That's not how we do, because it's exactly that reason. Because God said, "You do the ethical right thing, and I will bless you."
0: Right, right, right. And I love that you brought the the mashpia, the advisor, the mentor, because it, it is so needed. And you know, now it's so popular, but our sages have been telling us for years, right? <laughs> make, make, buy yourself a friend. They call and it a it
1: therapist, a coach,
0: right? Right. We need that objective third party. Beautiful. Now, very often, women in particular struggle with. Putting themselves or, or maybe or maybe putting themselves not the the right word, but finding themselves let's say in the position where oh yeah, I feel like I'm mentoring my husband. What do I mean by this well i I, 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 I want my husband to do more. I wish he could succeed more you know I, 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 I try to push him and, and that very often causes a tremendous amount of tension I, I see in some of my students and and my listeners what can we advise women what really what really is the, the 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 better approach or is there a better approach how can we handle that you know that dynamic within a marriage where a woman wants the husband to succeed if he's a breadwinner let's say if it's a more traditional role um without her becoming this 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 pressure on the husband feeling that it's crushing his ego
1: yeah and just to make the the, the case a little more complicated the woman will say, you know what? My husband's sometimes lazy. He needs me to push him, you know?
0: Yes, we hear that too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard to answer, to be honest, in a generic, you know, blanket uh, statement that one size fits all because every it's case by case. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes um, it's good to prod someone on, but I think this is a few vital key points. Whether it's a wife or a husband, your job is not to make your spouse miserable.
0: Mm. That's not
1: your job. Your job is not to make them uncomfortable. To really? Do feel-
0: which wives think that's their job? Do- no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> well, the, well, the joke goes like this. The man wears the pants in the family and his wife tells him what pants to wear. I <laughs> mean that, right? Like that? Okay. Yeah. So I think the following. The key thing is, it's like in any motivation. When you want to motivate someone, if you start becoming a pain and a nag, they're going to avoid you. And they'll mm-hmm. just become more tension. If your your intentions are really to help inspire, so inspire your husband. Say something positive. If you start saying you're not working enough, we need more money. We're in debt. We're this. That usually is demoralizing and is not motivating. And mm-hmm. I think a good smart woman has to understand and ask, Am I really motivating that person? It's just like with your children. If you, you can do that to your children too. You can right. make them very. You can demoralize them and make them feel very depressed. You're not doing well enough in school. You're not trying enough. That's not the tone. The tone has to be with love, with yeah. kindness. Then the person knows you care about them. Nobody wants to hear critique. Nobody wants to come home when they want to relax and be calm and just hear their wife berating them. Mm-hmm. Or for that matter, the husband berating the wife. You know, I see it the other way around as well. Husbands mm. say, we need more money. I need you to go work, even if he's the main breadwinner. So I really want to be equal here. You know, yeah. I don't want to be sexist. It goes both directions. The, the key word is, in Hasidus, is a word called Bittle. Mm. A relationship between a husband and wife should not be driven, this is my main point, by money, should be driven by love. I see people who are struggling financially, but they love each other deeply and they will never hurt each other. I see people who are very wealthy and have everything they need and they're constantly bickering and fighting. The thing of a wife and a husband, they have to know we're here as partners to create Mm -hmm. a home for God. Mm -hmm. Am I doing that? If every time you're at a meal, there's a fight about money or you're not doing enough, You're not bringing God into your life. right? So a woman who's a truly God-fearing person has to say, you know what, just like we discussed earlier, you make the effort you can, but at the end of the day, Hashem will bless. I just recently had a situation where a woman had one child, and then the doctor said she can't have another child. And her husband was very upset, very upset. And the woman felt extremely terrible because she's like disappointing her husband. Mm -hmm. So I sat with him. I said, God decides how many children you'll have, not you. Your wife is a beautiful person. There's no, It's not like it's her fault. Right. It's not appropriate for you to be putting such pressure on her, making her feel mm-hmm. like she's worthless. And he changed his tone. I said, it's God. F- listen to God's blessing. Do what you can. So I want to just apply that, the same idea, to livelihood. Yeah. Your husband's working hard. You want to motivate him a little more. Fine. You know what? He's working hard. Maybe he needs a little good, nice meal, a little nurturing, a little support. You can't imagine what can be done when people feel supported. Yeah. That would be my approach and I wouldn't allow money to become in between spouses. That's like that that's ridiculous. Yeah. The most important thing is that you two have a good relationship. You have a family to build.
0: Yeah. Well said. Well said. I so appreciate that. Stressed about the recession, are we officially calling it that? Worried about a potential loss of income, um, more like panicked, queasy over the stock market turbulence, the first trimester of pregnancy's got nothing on this, right? Wondering how in the world we continue to afford your life. Inflation, we hate you. And all of this is dragging your calm, confidence, and bank balances down, which is why it's time to recession-proof your life. Learn the action steps you need to take right now so that you come out of this recession not just unscathed, but thriving. Recession-Proof Your Life is a mighty mini online course jam-packed with my best tips, exercises, and resources, enabling you to step out of the darkness and into the light and take full control of your financial life so that you're well-anchored, able to withstand, and even thrive during any recession. Check it out at yaeltrush.com forward slash recession proof. That's yaeltrush.com forward slash recession proof. I had a guest once, I'm flipping it now to women breadwinners. And we see this nowadays is so very popular, right? Either the woman is the breadwinner, and we see it also in, in more observant Jewish circles, or she is quickly going to uh, out earn her husband. And I heard once on the show, kind of the warning that if you're in that position, your marriage is doomed to fail because a man has such a delicate ego. Um, and I've had listeners, you know, struggle with with that and i could see why right um because they are in that position and they feel that that uh that struggle internal struggle with well i i i don't want this to you know i love my career i love my business and it is position to out earn my husband or i've already out earned my husband but i don't want to hurt his ego um what, what do we tell that them
1: you know there are many reasons Let's talk about the reasons why the husband is not being able to be the breadwinner and not for every reason. If it's due to his laziness or his just you know, he's he just not going to work, he may need help. he may need some therapy, he may need someone to talk to. Why does he not feel for his own uh, dignity mm-hmm. and his own pride, should be at least earning something? So you have to get to the bottom of it. If, if he indeed has a real problem, we have to get to the heart of the problem. Right. If it's something he's a control over, he needs to talk to someone about it. This is regardless if his wife is making a lot of money. A husband should, you know, uh, the traditional role is that the man should be the breadwinner. So mm-hmm. if he is the breadwinner and he's supporting the family, if the wife wants to work, it's up to her, but she doesn't have to. The other way around is correct. If a woman is the main breadwinner, it could end up, Very, be very demoralizing for a man, Hmm. and I would, I would try to speak to him one on one and say, "What's going on?" Like, and for him to say, "My wife is making the money. I don't need to do." I said, "But forget about money here. What are you doing every day with your life? Don't you want to come home at the end of the day feeling productive? Productive, right? You've contributed, because remember, work isn't just about money. It's also about productivity. It's about feeling that you're contributing something to society. So whenever you see a person is not doing that, you always have to try to wonder why." Now I'll be very honest, even women also need that. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, our approach is if the man is doing the breadwinning, a woman still should not just sit around and her children go to school and have nothing to do. Nice. I've seen many women become very, very um, demoralized by that and been hurt by that. So I always nice. encourage women, you know, embrace a hobby, maybe create a book club, uh, do something online, you know, find something where you feel sure. accomplished. Everyone needs to feel accomplished, men and women. So for me, it's really more of that sense of accomplishment that needs to be encouraged in the man's case. The woman should obviously not be pushing in his face and throwing in his face and say, Hey, look, I'm the breadwinner. He doesn't need to hear that. Right. But he knows it on his own. But there is situations where I know women have consulted with me. My husband just doesn't go to work. And, -hmm. you know, I'm working very hard and he pressures me to do more work. And he's, I really think that man needs help. He, he, it's really not healthy at all. Right. And it's, and it could, Even if the woman is a tzaddikis, completely righteous and is selfless and is willing to forego her own uh, hard work, but still, it's you know, what kind of respect? You come Friday night, Shabbos, for the children, and the husband's doing what, you know? That's one thing if he's learning Torah all day and he's teaching and he's really passionate about that and he's not making so much money. But if he's just sitting around, that's not healthy for anybody.
0: Right. Thank you. And that actually segues us into a – Topic that I happen to love, one of my favorite hayom yom's, um, one of the my favorite aphorisms of the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, penned by by the Rebbe, is I think it's the twenty fifth of Nissan, I want to say, but it's where the Friedecker Rebbe talks about the fact that if we've been given a talent for polishing pearls and we're baking bread instead, we are making a mistake because even though Baking bread is very important for the world, Um, suggesting that, you know, we've been given that talent for pearls and we're not utilizing it. And the reason I bring it up is because very often we see that um, we have a hard time choosing a, 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 a means for a livelihood. Right. We in terms of. And we do this to our children too. As parents, we kind of project our fears and we kind of steer our kids away. We tend to steer our kids away from what their natural inclinations are. Perhaps it was done to us and, and, and we find ourselves kind of trapped in a career path or in in a means of livelihood that has nothing to do with where our talents and capabilities are. And it leads people to a lot of frustration. Like you mentioned before, it's not just about the money, right? It's about being productive and contributing in a certain way that's so unique. Um, Can you help us here with giving us that clarity? So when when it comes to choosing a livelihood through that process, because either we've experienced it as adults or are experiencing, or we're going to raise children and we kind of need to, go back to the proper Torah perspective on on this.
1: Yeah. I remember my son came home from school when he was a little boy and he was very excited and he told me he heard today, you were born an original, don't become a copy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember it years, years later, till this day, Hashem, God created each of us unique. Even if you're the child of your parents and you have their genes, that doesn't mean you're a, a clone or a carbon copy. And for healthy parents, the role the goal is Healthy parents will help cultivate the uniqueness of their child. Unfortunately, many parents project their expectations, their needs, their demands on their children and say, no, you have to be what I think you should be. Okay. Or you have to be like I am. That's never a healthy thing. You need the child to be who they are. Mm-hmm. And um, the problem is we live in an insecure world where many adults are projecting upon us their expectations, their demands, and then we become pleasers. We feel the pressure that we need to satisfy them.
2: Mm-hmm. And you
1: end up not singing your own song. You end up singing their song or no song or someone else's song. Mm-hmm. So Torah is there to really help cultivate a sense of self-confidence plus support that I will support you for you who you are, not for who I want you to be. And I think it's a critical lesson that educators and parents need to learn to help cultivate the uniqueness of your child. <laughs> mm-hmm. educate your child according to his or her way. Obviously, you want to share with them your values, your ideals, your uh, your ethics, your standards. But that too has to be, you know, if one child is a very, let's say, very musical, another right. child is very um, uh, 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 strategic, very cerebral. It would be a big mistake to try to fit one person into another person's shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's what the healthy parents need to do. And they need to step back and recognize that.
0: Right. Right. And, and and all that that fear of, um, well, how are you going to make money at that? Right. Like we often hear that. We often heard yeah, it that's, as children. That's, it.
1: that's another one. Yeah. You know, you want to educate your children, to have the self-confidence to do what they believe in. And they will then make their money. Not to say only if you do this, you'll make money. Right. There are a lot of people follow your dreams, obviously help support and so on and sometimes people have to learn for, they have to learn in the job it's trial and error you don't always uh, you can't always figure it out
0: yeah it's total trial and error and like you said you know you you fo- you can follow your talent and your inclination but that's not to say that you also will find business advisors and mentors and you know and the lawyer and the accountant to help you through through that that's why god created a whole system within nature um speaking of which we talked about Um, engaging with, you know, these things in the natural world, very often, very often, I hear it differently, not regarding business, but regarding practical financial matters, like, well, do I really have to open that account? Or do I really have to balance, you know, my budget? And do I really, you know, why do I have to be so involved? And I often say, well, it is part of the effort, right? It's part of a natural means. It's not saying that you're leaving God out of the picture. If God gave us bank accounts and investment accounts, they're there for a reason. It's not to say that that's going to give you the money, but it's just you're doing what you need to do. Um, How should we view financial management?
1: Another great question. I think uh, you use the verse well before you said Hashem God blesses all those that in the things you do. In other words you need to make the right containers so there's no question a person let's say running a business they should have good accounting practices c- keep the books, analyze it well, have people help analyze them. Mm-hmm. Where you need to draw the line is not to become to the point where you agonize 24-7 over your bottom line Now, when it comes Shabbos, for example, Friday night, just say to yourself, you know, I did what I had to do six days of the week. Now, I rely on Hashem. I'll get back to work Monday morning or whenever you get back to work. You need to have boundaries in our lives. And this is true with everything. You know, you see you see very successful business people. They know how to go on vacation, too. (laughs) What they do is they make their plans. They do what they have to do. And then they plan. They say, okay, after this month, we're going to go away for a week. Mm-hmm. And that does not compromise their business. It's part of a balanced process. So I think it's critical to prioritize when it comes to t- to money management, as like time management. It's not doing everything all the time. It's really prioritizing and figuring out. Okay, I've done what I had to do. Now there's now my children need me. That's not compromising your business. It's part of the the, the healthy balance. And when one place things are. In control, It will help other places. You know, many people, their businesses may be successful, but at home, it's a mess. Hmm. And ultimately, it's going to spill over. You think their work won't be affected by it? So I think it's a matter of a combination of using best business practices, following guidelines, but also knowing where your heart and soul is. Like uh, sometimes the word expression is keep your feet firmly planted on the ground, but your head should be in the clouds.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's how a Jew should behave. I love that. Um, Rabbi, you were one of the Levavitcher Rebbe's, um, Chosrim, a group of students who memorized the, the Rebbe's, um, lengthy talks during Shabbat and holidays. Um, and, you know, hours of complex Torah study and you helped transcribe those. You're intimately familiar with the Rebbe's perspective and you're well versed in his Torah and his teachings. Can you share what were some of the Rebbe's Perspectives on wealth and abundance, and 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 were they perhaps unconventional, somewhat somewhat radical, in, in the Torah world at the time?
1: Okay, very good. Um, actually, in my book "Torah Meaning for Life," I have a chapter called "Wealth and Charity" that addresses this very directly. Um, so, I'll share a few thoughts, and maybe they are a little radical. There's a, a famous medrash the Rebbe quotes often, where mm-hmm. King David asks medrash is as an oral interpretation of the Torah. Where King David asks God, why did you create social classes of the super wealthy, the wealthy, upper class, middle class, lower class? Why not give? You have enough gold and silver. You could have distributed it equally so there wouldn't have to be wealth and poverty. Let everybody share equally. Like somewhat of a socialistic system. Right, Socialist system, I should say. Socialistic, I said. Socialist (laughs) system. Okay. And God responds. Listen to this. He says... Because who would do chesed in the world? There'd be no kindness. If everybody had equal, there would never be any acts of kindness. This way, I've created a situation where those that have more have the opportunity to give. You know what that means? That means that wealth was not a product of people's ingenuity. It's God saying, I want to give some people more so they'd be wise enough because I trust them that they'll be wise enough to share it with another. So when a person is blessed with abundance, you have to look at it like this. Yes, I did my part to get that abundance, but God gave it to me and not to someone else because he trusted me. He trusted that I would be wise enough and sensitive enough to realize that I have extra in order to share that. This is a fundamental cornerstone of the Rebbe's approach based on that Medrash and based on Hasidic teachings, which I would say is somewhat radical. You know, there's a... Um, I don't know if you ever heard, Andrew Carnegie wrote an essay called The, the Gospel of Wealth. Mm-hmm. This became like the, the Bible of Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and others because he wrote about the concept, of, not from a religious point of view. He says, when God has blessed you with so much wealth, more than you can spend, what's your responsibility? So he says, I don't believe in others imposing upon you like the socialist system. You have to impose upon yourself to give it back to those that gave it to you, and that's the public. Mm. So he was a big believer. He, he founded Carnegie did, um, the public, the public library system because mm. he thought empowering people with knowledge who couldn't go to school would help them build up their lives. So he was very a big advocate on self-imposed charity as the way you repay for the gifts of, of wealth, which is very aligned with the Torah thinking. And it's really a very powerful way to express the idea. It's it basically is saying, Your wealth is yours. You are blessed with it. But you're also blessed to know, be wise enough that it's not just yours. God is saying, I trusted you because you now have opportunities that other people don't have. And the truth is, by the way, you can apply the same thing. Someone who's blessed with more intelligence. Someone who's blessed with other gifts. They were given to you in order to share, not just for you to indulge in them. Mm -hmm. That's a very central point in the Rebbe's teachings about wealth.
0: Beautiful, and I, I I would love for you to expound a little bit on the this this example that you gave us with uh, Carnegie and um, the 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 charity because I find that sometimes it could it, it is beautiful that it is also a secular concept but we can get tripped over a little bit because we can fall into the trap of saying well today I have and therefore I give but. Now there's a recession or there's a crisis or my, you know, we lost our job or whatever. Um, how can we give? And um, I always say that we really flip that entire giving paradigm on its head. Whereas the secular world says you give after everything's taken care of because you're a kind, charitable person, right? You want to contribute to society. And Judaism tells us, no, 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 it's not at the end. It's something that happens first. We give first. Um, can, you, can you elaborate a little bit on that for people to have that clarity, perhaps?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a there's a Jewish law that says that even a poor person is obligated to give charity. Why? Because it's not just about the amount. Even if it's a penny,
2: right.
1: it's that you have something to give. It's right. the dignity of giving. So when you think of it that way, it's really about the essence of life. Those that say, "When I make enough, then I'll give," right. Basically, it means that your life is centered around you mm-hmm. and you'll be benevolent benevolent enough to share with others. The Jewish perspective is, no, you were sent to this world to be a giver, period, no matter what you have. And you'll see people who say, when I'll make a million dollars, then I'll give charity. Well, I don't know how much they give. I see people who are givers, even when they have a dollar, they give. Right. Right. Even when they have a thousand dollars. It's not about the amount. It's mm-hmm. It's a state of mind. It's understanding. I was blessed with life. Right. I was given life, and therefore I have to give. And it's not about the dollar amount.
2: Right. And I
1: think that is one of the, the key differences, that Judaism believes that we are sent here on a mission from above and and and, and um, show gratitude, show uh, honor the mission that you were sent. Your life is not a given. Don't take your life for granted. It's not a sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. And as you said before, that's why we give from right in the beginning, in the morning. Moda Ani, thank you for returning my soul to me. We give the first fruit. Yeah. You don't wait till the end, you give from the first because you're showing that the first thing I recognize is that my whole life is a gift. And I have to recognize that all the time and show gratitude for that. Now, obviously, if you're blessed with more, you'll get you'll give more. Mm -hmm. But one dollar given by a person who has to struggle to give a dollar can be worth a lot more than a thousand dollars by given by someone for them it's nothing. Right.
0: It just reminded me of an interview that I once read. A Jewish philanthropist was asked. I mean, I don't know how many millions he gave. Let's just come up with 1 million, whatever it was. And the the journalist asked them, like, how did you come to give such an amount? And his answer was so great. He said, well, actually, it's not about the amount that I gave. The real question is, the the real the real truth of the matter is that you don't come to give a million dollars unless... I, you don't give a dollar when you had ten you know and and, and ten when you had a hundred and a thousand you don't get to be that kind of giver if you haven't been giving always now okay. rabbi, I-, I would love to. Wrap it up with what I call Jewish money matters fill in the blanks. And this is a part of the show where I'll give you an open ended statement and um, you'll finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. And these are more personal questions.
1: <laughs> you ready? Go for it. I love it.
0: All right. We were talking about giving. The first one is when I give my sir or tzedakah, I like to give to,
1: to those that are most in need.
0: Hmm. I'd like to make more money because
1: I should be able to change the world.
0: Ah, beautiful. Right. We can do so much with it. Beautiful. Something I wish perhaps I'd learn about money growing up is?
1: (laughs) It could either destroy you or make you the greatest person.
0: Nice. Money, spiritual or physical?
1: Spiritual and physical body. Nice.
0: Something I splurge on unapologetically is? my family. I love that. Oh, I love that. That's so nice. Rabbi, spender or saver?
1: <laughs> the truth is I'm both, honestly. I know <laughs> really? it's strange. I, I always spend on good things. But in my mind, I always feel, hey, sometimes you got to put away. So I'm always having a conflict. Good. I, that's,
0: the answer. that's good. That's very good. Today, I'm most grateful for
1: the life that God gave me and the blessings to be able to help others. Baruch Hashem,
0: beautifully. And finally, I'm Rabbi Simon Jacobson. I believe Jewish money matters because
1: because with it, we transform the material into the spiritual.
0: Rabbi, so enlightening, so wonderful. Thank you so much. Tell listeners where we can find you, where we can connect with you.
1: Absolutely. So firstly, thank you for the honor sharing with you. Great questions, great conversation. Thank you. So for my website, MeaningfulLife.com, the name of my book Toward a Meaningful Life, MeaningfulLife.com There you can subscribe. You can see all the a wide array of different materials of things we do, weekly programs, online, in-person writings. You got it. MeaningfulLife.com
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. We will be sure to put that in the notes and we'll be sure to follow thank you so much rabbi thank you beautiful thanks to rabbi simon jacobson for stopping by you can find him at meaningfullifecenter.com there you can purchase his books both toward a meaningful life and 60 days a spiritual guide to the high holidays or you can grab them on amazon of course you can also subscribe to his newsletter at meaningfullife.com i hope you enjoyed this episode perfect for the last stretch before rosh hashanah and Yom kippur right if you're enjoying the show please be sure to leave a review and rating on apple podcast and hey why don't you also click that share button on the podcast app and send that link to a friend you love and think would benefit from this conversation as a reminder i will not be here this friday for ask yael but you can still submit your questions via email or dm on instagram and i will answer as soon as we get back to regular programming that's yael at yaeltrush.com or at yaeltrush on instagram and i will of course continue to keep um, picking a reviewer of the week to win a 20-minute session with me. So leave those reviews and send in those questions. I look forward to them. And this is my opportunity to wish you all a Kesivava ve a happy and healthy, sweet new year with abundant revealed good. I will see you here, God willing, next year, 5783, unless, of course, Mashiach comes first, in which case I will see you in your shalim. Have a wonderful week.